We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It is Tuesday, August 16th, which means we are so much closer to Notre Dame kicking off the 2022 season, which will be in Columbus, Ohio. Got my credential request request approved for the Ohio State game, so I will be there. Vince, Sean will be there. It is going to be a fun, fun Day, but we are obviously have a lot to still talk about before we get there, Ryan. And we are still breaking down the Notre Dame team today. We're going to talk about a couple things. We're going to talk briefly about the Notre Dame, uh, the report that is out about Notre Dame's potential new TV deal. Won't talk about it too much. I know Sean and Vince are going to go into much greater detail about that tonight as we kind of try to learn more about that. We're going to talk about just sort of expectations for the Notre Dame running backs and receivers and really what those units have to do for this football team to really be the dynamic offense it needs to be. Forget what it's capable of. It needs to be if Notre Dame is going to be a team that contends for a title this year, next year, any other years moving forward. It's one topic, Ryan, however, that I don't plan on talking much about today. And if you all want to ask about it in the mailbag, you can. But I know a lot of people are fired up about Paul Feinbaum's comments. And I honestly, Ryan, don't care. I know who Paul Feinbaum is. He's not a real journalist. He's not a real analyst. He's a provocateur. And he says silly things to get people riled up. And it worked with the Notre Dame fan base, which is exactly why he does it. Beyond saying I really just don't respect his opinion nor care about his opinion, And I don't want to waste any more time than I already have talking about Paul Feinbaum. So I don't intend to say much about Paul Feinbaum and his absurd comments. Because they're absurd. But he meant them to be absurd for this exact reason. He's playing to his audience, right? SEC guy on ESPN. Guess who they hate? Notre Dame. So he's throwing them raw meat. I'm just not going to take the bait beyond just what we've already said already. Shut him up, man. I mean, that's as easy as it goes, right? If if Notre Dame goes into the shoe and have a – I don't even say decisive, but just have a victory over Ohio State, it'll shut some people up. I mean, at the end of the day, I understand why he said the thing he said, and I understand why he is anti-Notre Dame just based upon what his 
Who his audience is, right. Exactly, exactly. Right. What he, who he's appealing to is right. the biggest thing. But the one way to, to change that narrative is to win football games. Right, so punch them in the team. has a chance. And they're always going to talk. They're always going to say, well, if they beat Ohio State, well, Ohio State's not that good anyway. Sure. You know, beat Clemson. Ah, Clemson's not that good anyway. They're going to be that way. So, you know, like you said, just keep winning and then ignore them. That's my biggest my biggest advice to Notre Dame fans. Stop watching Paul Feinbaum. Stop listening to them. Stop listening to these people that say stupid things. And when that's about, you know, that's about the best advice I can give. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So, Ryan, let's talk a little bit about the latest report from John Auerland, who had a report out today. And again, this is just a report that we've heard. I have not had this confirmed by anyone else. But his report was is that Notre Dame and NBC are heating up on a deal that would give Notre Dame $60 million a year, mm-hmm. which include when you include the current, because right now the ACC is still a conference. Notre Dame still is in contract with the ACC, which means they're going to get north of 10. It's about 10, 11, I think is where the deal is around there on an annual basis for Notre Dame. So that gets them over $70 million a year. My goal for Notre Dame and from the people I've talked to is if they got a minimum of 50, they were going to be in really good shape. And now you're talking about getting about, you're going to have about 70 million a year when you include those two deals, if this report does turn out to be true. So uh, we're going to talk briefly about what that means for Notre Dame. We're going to talk briefly about kind of why it matters for Notre Dame. And then also why is this being leaked out, right? Because Notre Dame the Notre Dame football team has a hard time stopping leaks. There's a lot of people, and this has been that way for a long time at Notre Dame, that like to talk in the around the football program. You know, this assistant to this person who wants to be a source, so they talk to this person, and you get a lot of that kind of stuff, which I don't mind because it benefits us. The university as, an, as a whole does not have a lot of leaks. You don't get stuff out other than things that they want out. So if this is being reported, I highly doubt that this is coming from necessarily NBC uh it is it's most likely I would this is just a, an assumption on my part I would assume it's coming from Notre Dame because Notre Dame is doing one is in, in my opinion is doing one of two things is number one is uh just okay they're getting ready to a deal and it's kind of a sway you know calm people down a little bit or the, the other two is like hey hey Fox and CBS hey ESPN who just lost the Big Ten uh this is the number we're at this is the number that's on the on the the table and we're, we're, we're perfectly comfortable signing it now, unless you want to step up and 
you know, knock us off our feet. That's where I think this kind of report is coming from, Ryan. Yeah, it makes total sense. I mean, there has to be a starting number, right? I mean, for there to be a bidding war, quote unquote, like you have to know what the number is at. So I think that's going to generate interest. It's going to generate a price point just in general. I mean, I think the biggest thing with big brands is I talk about this from a personal brand perspective and you run a business so you could speak to this too, is the fact that you have to know what you're worth, right? Mm -hmm. So Notre Dame is putting a number on their brand right now. And there's a possibility that someone is going to outbid you and possibly that multiple outlets are going to mm-hmm. potentially outbid. And so you're starting the process there. I think it's a brilliant move. If I'm being honest, I, I really do. I mean, one, you're not aligning with the big 10. Well, you know, we've discussed that in volume at this point, but the biggest thing for me is that Notre Dame understands there are big brands and they're starting the jockeying for that brand now. Right. And there, there's a tangible understanding of what the price is going to start at. We're not sitting here and saying it's going to be 71 and 71 is it like it could jump. And there could be a situation where Notre Dame could pretty much, it's not a blank check, but like they're driving up their price point. They're driving up the interest in their products, which is all about branding. Right. So I I think it's a really good starting point for Notre Dame because now you have a general understanding of what the brand is somewhat worth or right. at least in the ballpark and now other other entities are right. going to understand that and now they're going to come and start the bidding war, right in my opinion. I right. think that's going to start here i mean you you can know your worth right but your worth at the end of the day is really only what someone's willing to pay to have it right i mean that's what your worth is and so notre dame uh can do you can do things to build your brand but at the end of the day it's it's what how do other people value it and you know, now that that number is on the table, and and I don't think it's a coincidence that this came out so quickly after the whole ESPN thing, because mm-hmm. ESPN is now a suitor, and you know if you can get ESPN, even if it because the way it works in business, right, is is you may know where you want to go, but you want to drive the price up. So what do you do? You get it, we, if you follow you know professional sports, you see this all the time. Go get another team interested in you that's willing to offer you more than what your current team is in an attempt to get the the price driven up by the current team or the other team that there that you want to sign with. And that's to me, if, if Jack Swarbrick and, and the people in their name are the business people, I think that they are. That's what makes me think again, this is a hundred percent our opinion, right? We are not. Re- the only thing that's out there to report is what John Auerland said about 60 million for NBC. There's nothing else beyond, you know, why they're going to sign this many games, play big 10. There's nothing official in there about that or the, the length of the contract, nothing like that. So everything that follows is just kind of our opinion and read on the situation. Just want to make sure that that's clear to people. Sure. But for me, if they're the business people, I think, Ryan, this, this is a smart move to do. Just like when they sort of let out the $75 million is kind of what they're asking for, right? So mm-hmm. they offer that. Then it's like Notre Dame kind of leaks out, hey, this is where we kind of think this is going to go. Then you hear, oh, this is what the deal is going to be with the Big Ten. Okay, so you now know what the asking price is that's going to make Notre Dame happy. You now know what NBC has on the table. I said Big Ten. I meant NBC. All right, CBS. All right, Fox. All right, ESPN. Now you know what what the number is. And I'm very curious to see kind of what they do. Like, I, like in the interesting thing, you know, because the Big Ten signed their deal with the three networks, right? And then there's also rumblings of potential Apple or Amazon streaming networks being part of that as well. So you got all these, you know, what, 16 teams now starting in a, in a couple of years, right? It'll be 16, Ryan, once the two Pac-12 teams join. You know, so you've got all these, these you know, during conference play, you're going to have, at le- you know, at least six, seven games a week because there's going to be teams on buys and 
know, other weeks you're going to have, you know, eight games during, you know, in-season play. And then, of course, even more during the non-conference part of the season where you could have sometimes 15, 16 games that have to be hosted. It's a lot of different networks you need to get it on. And so, obviously, there will be some on the Big Ten network already. And so, the deal is, is like, from my understanding is I think the Fox Big Ten game will be at noon. The CBS Big Ten game will be at at, at 3.30. And then NBC will have a primetime Big Ten game. Right, so all those networks have slots to fill at the other times, right? So Fox still needs a three thirty and primetime slot. CBS still needs a noon and primetime slot, right? So you know that's kind of where it goes. So ESPN and now Fox are going to have that sweet spot that Notre Dame wants to be in for that three thirty game, still having that open. And the interesting thing with Fox is now Fox still has their primetime slot open too, and Notre Dame likes to have one or two primetime games a year. And that's the interesting thing with the NBC contract is, is what are they going to do the weeks that Notre Dame wants to have a night game? And that was part of the previous NBC deal is for X number of night games a year. And so what is going to happen there? Are they going to, is, are their night games going to be on Peacock? Is the, is that, is the deal with the big 10 where there's going to be a couple weeks where they don't have a big 10 game. That's going to get real interesting, which I think could open up some opportunities for some of the other networks jumping and say, Hey, We'd like to have you. Not only do we want that, we want to give you more primetime games if you want them. I don't know if that would be attractive to Notre Dame, but it's certainly a selling point. And I think that's what's going to make this whole thing interesting. Like the report came out today about NBC. It could very well be a done deal for all I know. Uh, we The answer is we don't know. But just knowing how Notre Dame operates, I really believe this is sort of a floating it out there. Like, hey, this is the number we've kind of settled on. This is the offer. So if you want, if you want us, make you know, you're, you're going to need to up your up your package offer. Isn't it funny, Brian, as soon as it came out, I saw when you posted your article that kind of highlighted a little bit of the conversation that people started on the, uh, oh, Notre Dame's afraid to join the conference thing again. Isn't it so funny, man? It's just, it is just genuinely hysterical to see these I didn't even see out. that. Yeah, yeah, I literally on your tweet, I went through it and I looked at this a couple of This is why I rarely look at my mentions. <laughs> yes, I mean, I started doing this when I put something that, you know, is drawing some people talking. I just like go and I mute the whole conversation because yes. like, I don't need to see yes. any of these replies anymore. But yes, it's just so wild, man. It's people are literally mad at Notre Dame for having a brand. That's right. literally what it is. Right. Man. It is. It just makes me laugh every well, single time. There's it's also like, a lot of fans who are really ignorant of history. Right. I mean, that's the other fact is like I hear this all the time. Like, does Notre Dame think they're better than everybody else? Be, you know, that they're too good to join a conference. And I want to be like, hey, uh, number one, yes, they are. Uh, the reality is, is if Alabama could start their own brand and make a hundred million dollars as an, you know, hundred fifty million dollars or whatever their needs are as an independent, they would. Texas tried that and it didn't work. You know, I mean, that's one of the biggest entities in all of sports. They tried to do their own thing and it didn't work. Right. So, yeah, if they could. But here's the thing is Notre Dame has never changed. Notre Dame has been this way always, you know, and they tried to join conferences and they were shut out because it's a Catholic school. So, you know, if you want to be mad that Notre Dame's independent, blame yourselves because mm -hmm. Notre Dame tried to join the Big Ten twice. And the Big Ten said, no, we don't like Catholics. And and so, you know, that's why I mean, Notre Dame's whole playing a national brand is because the Big Ten shut them out. There weren't a whole lot of other options other than like playing like Iowa flight school and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like that's a literal team that Notre Dame played back, uh, I think, under Newt Rockney. What was the name of it? Say it again. Iowa flight school. They played wow. like a medical. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's hilarious. Like some of the, you know, if you, if you go if you go back and look at some of the 
some of the teams that Notre Dame played back then. I mean, that was it was true for everybody. But yeah, some of the opponents are like Western State normal. Uh, mm-hmm. Kalamazoo, this is who they played in 1919. Uh, <clears throat> Notre Dame, this is under Newt Rockney, right? And, and this is his second year. They beat Kalamazoo. They beat Mount Union. They beat Nebraska. They beat Western State Normal. They beat Indiana. They beat Army. They beat Michigan Agriculture. They beat Purdue. And they beat Morningside. Wow. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of, you know, like I said, that's uh, that's kind of how how it is. And so, you know, when, when, you, when you look at the different, um, you know, that's just kind of how it was. There wasn't just as there weren't as many teams as there are now. You know, 1924, the first full championship that Newt Rockney had, they beat Lombard, they beat Wabash. Well, I've coached against Wabash. They beat Army, they beat Princeton, they beat Georgia Tech, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Northwestern, Carnegie Tech, and Stanford. So it just was a different it was a different era. And Notre Dame did their started started doing their national thing because of the fact that the Big Ten shut them out. And not all the Big Ten. You know, Michigan State supported Notre Dame, and they tried to get Notre Dame in, but Michigan was was the the power program back then, and so that's why Notre Dame became what they became. And and it, the last time Notre Dame won a national title, there was more teams in in the independent than there, I mean, by far than there was in any individual conference by far. Yeah, you know, we've talked about this, Ryan, where you know when you look at 1988, the last time Notre Dame won a national title, I think the the four of the top five teams that year were independent teams. That's so if you crazy. go look at the rankings at the end of the year, Notre Dame was one, Miami was two, Florida State was three, Michigan was four, West Virginia was five. The only team in that group that wasn't an independent is Michigan. Hmm. I mean, everybody else was an independent. I mean, if you look at the rankings, that the, that year the independent, you know, the independents had the number one, two, three, five, and 13 ranked teams in the country. Other, you know, Syracuse was 13th. Other teams that were independent. Louisville, South Carolina, Pitt, Rutgers, Penn State, uh, uh, t- so here, Boston College, Cincinnati, East Carolina, Virginia Tech. So all those teams are independent. Those teams all chose to leave being independent and go join a conference. They made that choice. Notre Dame chose to stay where they were. So it's not like Notre Dame was in the Big Ten and chose to go out on their own. And that's what just so many fans just don't understand, and, and that or they just don't care because they just don't know how to make rational arguments. It's, and that's what you find with a lot. It's of it. blind hatred a lot. I mean, I know we talk about this all the time, but it's just at this point now that there is so few independents and Notre Dame is the only prominent independent mm-hmm. left. It's just, it's a little bit of why are they different type of thing, right? Like, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's really hating on a brand, if anything, like it's just, mm-hmm. you know, Notre Dame is a different entity. They're different than us. We hate them for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Like that's just, that, that is what it is right. in my opinion. Cause I, I, well, you know what it is, Ryan? They, it's it's the I always say this: they hate us because they ain't us. That's really the what it comes down to, right? And, and and so I just don't pay a lot of attention to that. So I didn't even notice that there were those responses because they're just so dumb. Yeah. But uh, you know, I think this is good for Notre Dame. This is mm-hmm. this if they if this is in fact the the range that we're talking about, even if this is the actual number they get combined with the ten million of the ACC, even if that the ACC goes away. Mm-hmm. then Notre Dame will just sign a deal with the Big Ten to be that partner. I mean, that's yeah. that's what I think that they'll do. And so you know, this is great for Notre Dame because I've, I've tried to explain to somebody before. It's like, well, the, the, if the Big Ten gets $100 million, then that's a huge deficit. I'm like, no, no, it's not. It's it, You don't understand. They're working on different operating budgets. Notre Dame has 10,000 students. Ohio State has like 50, right? I think Ohio State's a huge school. That means more faculty, more staff, all more buildings, all these different things. And and Notre Dame doesn't work 
as often as it can. COVID has kind of jacked it up a little bit the last couple of years, but Notre Dame off, you know, does actually works within a budget, you know, so they've been working within a budget of $20 million where other schools are kind of spending outside their means, which is why they had so many issues during COVID because they weren't getting the same TV revenue. Well, during that first year of COVID, Notre Dame got actually more TV revenue because they joined the ACC for that year. So the ACC actually, or the ACC had more revenue that year because of Notre Dame joining. So it's just one of those things where, you know, people don't, they get, it's it's always been, people get angry at things they don't understand, right? Right. Or that they're not comfortable with. And they don't understand why Notre Dame is independent. They don't understand the history of independent football. And so, you know, they, they, they think it's somehow Notre Dame saying we're better than you. When in reality is they kind of are, but that's Mm -hmm. okay. Right. I mean, you would do it if you could, right. And don't get mad at me because you can't. I think that's kind of the mantra that Notre Dame Notre Dame has. And, and I like the fact that Notre Dame has allowed themselves to be bullied into joining a conference. And this is what we said from day one. Notre Dame is not going to be bullied into joining a conference, right? Mm-hmm. And and that just continues to, to remain true. 100%. 100%. Yeah, I think it's – I mean, if anything, we're going to see now that – I mean, the conferences have always wanted this, but the conferences want Notre Dame to be a part of it because, like mm-hmm. you just said, with the ACC schedule that year – it makes them more valuable. Right. The, their individual brand pumps up the larger brands, right? So that is that is what we're working towards here. And I again, to your point, and to, I think I said it earlier, I think this is a great starting point. It is because now there's a number to the to the deal, and now that's where the jockeying starting, right? Like you need that number to start the, the bidding war, and the number's out there now. Who knows if it will end up being NBC? Who knows what it will end up looking like? All I know is that we had the initial conversation and the initial starting points and it is out there now so i don't think this could be looked at as a negative it's not like they signed a deal hastily and they haven't been they're not doing their research it's literally a starting point sure sure if notre dame felt panic they would sign this deal before it could leak out i mean it would be like pen to paper oh yeah you're gonna offer me what let me sign that before you change your mind that's not where they are the other thing too is is what's is this is this is really in a lot of ways great timing for notre dame because the TV deal runs through the 2024 season and then the, the apparel contract runs through 2023. And so in back-to-back years, Notre Dame is going to sign two huge deals that are going to give it a huge windfall. I mean, just a huge boost in revenue. I mean, Notre Dame's apparel deal with Under Armour a decade ago was like $90 million at the time. That was big. There are 150 to $200 million deals being signed now. The fact, and I and I'm pretty confident in saying this: Nike and Air Jordan, same company, but the different brands are both, you know, trying to make deals with Notre Dame. I've been told that Adidas is trying to get involved. That there's a lot of different apparel companies that are trying to get in with Notre Dame because right now Notre Dame is a hot program, right. and when Notre Dame is good and and their brand is selling, then people want to be a part of it. So the timing of all this is great for Notre Dame, and if they can go out and be successful on the field this season, it's going to make it even make them even more appealing to these different areas. Right. And and one big thing that I think you just mentioned as well is that the fact that the number's out there is because Notre Dame wants it to be out there, exactly. right? Like that's usually what happens. When things yeah. get leaked, usually because, because somebody wants the Because there's be no there. benefit for NBC having this out there. There's yeah. no fun, I mean, unless the people on NBC are just stupid, and I don't think that they are. Right. Why would they show their hands of like, right. this is what we're why would you let to? Fox right. and ESPN and CBS yeah. and ES and no, like, Hey guys, this is what we have on the table. I dare you to match us. Right. That would be, that'd be terrible business. And maybe they are that bad business people. I just don't think that they are. I think this Honestly, is coming from Notre Dame. 
Yeah, because I, I, I mean, honestly, Brian, like even let's 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 compare this slightly to like a guy that's trying to find a job, right? It's like if you have a couple different work, a uh, couple different jobs that want to hire you potentially. Usually you'll go, you know, you'll get that offer and then you'll go to the other one and then they'll be like, you know, we'd love to have you. But then you're like, okay, I understand, but I got offered this and then they'll either match it or they'll do better. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's how this works. That's the jockeying for the, for the price tag. So yeah, yeah, I think that this number is clearly out there. Notre Dame wants to be out there because again, to your point, what does NBC get out of this being out there? Like it's showing their hands that business doesn't want to show their hand. If they're the ones that are trying to sign the deal, like that doesn't help them in any capacity. Right. Uh, DM. ND13 did say, will the increase in revenue trickle down to paying coaches more? Seems like it hasn't been an issue, much of an issue in the past last couple of years, but I know it has been in the past. Just for the record, I, I I have always contended this to be true, and I believe this to be true. Notre Dame not paying coaches was never about them not having the money to pay coaches. It was their choice. They chose not to pay coaches. And that was one of the weird things that they've done in the past. So, look, if, if Notre Dame – you know, let's say let's say the the revenue pool for Notre Dame's coaches per year for the football team, for example, is you know let's say Marcus Freeman's making five million and the ten assistant coaches are making on average a million. Just throwing that out there, right? You know, that's fifteen million a year, right? If they needed to up that to twenty twenty five, it would simply just go raise the money because a, a lot of the positions that right now are endowed, so the school doesn't have to pay as much, and, and so. That's been a choice, not necessarily a um, a lack of funds. Let's just put it that way, right? Notre Dame hasn't had a lack of funds. They've made that choice. And I think now they realize they do have to be more competitive when it comes to paying coaches, which is why they were willing to uh, ante up to get Marcus Freeman as the defensive coordinator, right? Yep. Because they understand uh, they, 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 you know, Harry Heastan isn't making minimum wage from a coaching standpoint, right? I mean, that's, you know, keeping out out Washington, who several SEC schools were pursuing out of the SEC did not cost you, you know, minimum wage for co- co- coaches. There was a pretty penny there. Keeping Tom, turn, Tommy Reese turned down a huge deal from LSU. Now, part of that number one is he wanted to stay at Notre Dame, yeah. right? But he didn't do that for a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. Right. I mean, can can we, you know, so Notre Dame has certainly upped it and it's not. And that's during a time when they actually have been in a bit of a budget tightening because of what went off COVID, you know, and, and that's the reality. So it's always there. But a lot of that came from the people in the development office who work their tails off to go out and, and have the wealthy donors that want to support the program. Hey, here's how you can support the program. We need two million dollars to, you know, to endow the defensive coordinator job. Is my name going to be on it? Is it my name going to be on his on his panel? Yes, sir. It will be. Okay, cool, done. You know, I mean, that's just that's just kind of how it is. Now, it's it's a little bit more complex than that. I don't want to disrespect the development people. Like that's all that they do. It's that simple. Make a phone call and you just raise two million dollars. But it's there to be had, and that's that's the reality of it. And that's why it's never been the issue that people make it out to be. Sure. So, Ryan, let's transition into the main topic for today, because speaking of winning football games, that's what Notre Dame's goal is going to be this year. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame is is going to have to be get better on offense, right? I mean, that's look, Notre Dame is a 10-2 and two team this year if their offense just keeps being what it's been. And I think at the minimum, that should be the case. Because, you know, you look at the, the four best teams in the schedule. We've talked about this. It's either – it's 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 – Ohio State and Clemson, and then some combination, depending on who you're talking to, of USC, BYU, North Carolina, and Boston College, right? 
some combination of them. The reality is, if you take that six games right there, I think at worst Notre Dame's four and two, you know, against those teams and and you know, kind of beat everybody else you're supposed to beat. They're a 10 and 2 team based on how good the defense is going to be. Even if the defense doesn't see a jump, just don't backslide. Sure. It, and just kind of what the expectations are. You look at the schedule, it's really top heavy, but a lot of beatable teams after that, if we're being honest about the schedule. So to me, it, it's just one of those things where I look at it and say, this is a 10 and 2 team if they just kind of keep doing what we're doing. Right. But that's not the standard, right? The standard is to take that next step. Okay. The standard is to not be a a 10 and two team. It's to be 11 and one, be 12 and 0, get to the playoff, win championship games, right? That's the standard. So in order for that to happen, this unit we're going to discuss today with the running backs and receivers, they got to raise their game. It can't just be what it's been. It's got to be taken to another level. We're going to focus mainly on the running backs and receivers, Ryan, and we'll sprinkle in some conversation about the tight end today, and we'll sprinkle in some conversations about the tight end tomorrow when we talk about the offensive line. But that's the thing, right? And we've said this time and time again this summer. We like Marcus Freeman. I didn't particularly like Brian Kelly, but I didn't hammer Brian Kelly because I didn't like him. I hammered him because he didn't meet the standard of what excellence at Notre Dame is supposed to be about, and that doesn't change for Marcus Freeman, right? And so if they're going to get to that level – the running backs and receivers have got to play well. But right now, Ryan, the concern is there's a lot of talent in the players that are on the roster, but there's a big lack of, of proven production and injuries. And we'll get to those at the end. But at the end of the day, how well this group plays is going to determine whether Notre Dame is a 10-2 and two team because how good their defense offensive line is going to be and we think quarterback would be good, or can they go even higher than that? I think this is the unit right here that ultimately – holds the key to making that happen. Well, I mean, because there's not an absence of talent, to your point, right? I mean, we're going to go through a lot of the names today, and it's like, I mean, there is four th- there's a 4-3 dude in the backfield. There's 4-4 four, mm-hmm. four dudes out wide. I mean, multiple guys, and one that was just on the freak list of the wide receiver, a mm-hmm. running back that was on the freak list last year. So Notre Dame has talent at the skill position, and that's not even counting Michael Mayer as much in this show today. So there mm-hmm. is talent absolutely everywhere there's no question about that the biggest concerns and i know you said we'll get into it the depth and the proven commodity Notre Dame doesn't have a ton of proven commodities in their skill positions but mm-hmm. that's not because there isn't talent necessarily it's just because there's some age things there's some you know like i mean chris tyree was behind Kyra williams for a couple of years who's a really talented player and he was banged up a little bit so there has been some circumstances why it is a little bit of an unproven groups right now from the skill position perspective, but I agree with you, Brian. It's the simple fact of we keep talking about Tyler Buckner and for good reason, Tyler Buckner, I mm-hmm. think is going to be a dynamic weapon, but how can you help Tyler Buckner this year? If you get skill positions around, you are able to make plays, right? Like if they're able to catch a five yard slant and then burn and then bust it for a 30 yard game, create plays that sometimes aren't there. The talent is there for that for Notre Dame to do it. It's just a lot more projection right now than a right. floor. Like we're talking more about the upside because there's so much talent, right. but it's just tangibly, we've only seen the production in spurts for several of the players. So I think it could be really good, but it's also a volatile, volatile group in the fact that we're talking about some younger players in right. a lot of instances, some unproven players in a lot of instances. Doesn't mean the talent yeah. isn't good. It's just until they do it on the field, they are a question mark until we see right. it. 
Potential is an interesting word, and, and upside and ceilings and all those are really interesting terms. But depending on how the context of the conversation, it can be a really good thing or a really bad thing. And when we're just talking about like the overall evaluation of the talent on the roster, we'll use words like upside, ceiling, potential. And it's a good thing. Hey, there's a lot of talent, a lot of potential on this team. When you're talking about the results of a certain unit, that's you don't want to be using the words potential and upside and ceiling. You want to be using words like production. It's because it, because when we're talking about potential, potential is used in a context like this, Ryan, of it's not there yet. It's, well, they've got upside, but dot, 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 insert reason why they haven't done it yet, right? And that's yeah. not where they need to be. And that's the big thing with this group is they've got to get to the point where we're no longer talking about the potential of this group, the potential of what Chris Tyree can do or what Logan Diggs and Audrey Esme can do or what Logan or Durant, Lorenzo Salas is capable of, or what Tobias Merriweather might be able to do, what we think Braden Lindsay can be. And we need to be talking about this is what they are. And the reality is what they are is going to determine what how the season goes. And so that's really where they're at. It's about, okay, Chancey Stuckey, you have been tasked, tasked with getting this group going. It's got to be better than it was in the past. You know, Dylan McCullough, you're being tasked with proving – that you can do with this group, what you've done with Indiana and USC and other you know institutions he's been a part of, even the, the Kansas City Chiefs when he's part of a Super Bowl team. And so it, it, you're at the point now where it's it's time to start turning the conversation about potential into production, and that's going to be the key, and that's where Notre Dame is at. So let's start with the backfield, Ryan. I think the expectation for what this unit needs to be this year, if Notre Dame is going to be the team it's capable of, right? That's the premise, the foundation of this entire conversation. We have agreed that the, you and I agree that the floor, barring catastrophe, lots of injuries, things like that, is 10 and 2 for this football team. That's what we established at the beginning, right? Is the floor is 10 and 2. So what, what do they got to do get beyond that? And I think when you talk about, talk about this group, Ryan, the first thing that stands out to me is, Chris Tyree needs to get back to being Chris Tyree. That to me yes. is where it's got to start is you've got to have that home run hitter to complement your quarterback because home run hitters mean fewer plays, fewer plays mean less opportunity for mistakes. And it's a lot less uh, potential issue um, that, uh, that Notre Dame is going to make a mistake on offense. If you go 80 yards in one play, compared to needing to go eight plays to get there, right? If it happens on one play, uh, then, you know, okay, you're in the end zone. If it has to go on eight, there's more chances for a mistake to be made. So that's kind of that's kind of where it is. He's got to be that guy that is back to being the home run hitter. That's where Notre Dame needs him to be. It's the dynamic elements. I talked about this a lot yesterday with Tyler Buckner. Chris Tyree is the type of player, Brian, where if you're not working at an efficient level offensively, it only takes one play to completely flip the momentum because that's what type Mm -hmm. of player he is. That's why he's a home run hitter. That's why he's a difference maker when he's healthy. That's the type of player Chris Tyree is. One play where a linebacker fills the wrong gap or takes a bad angle or the defensive line gets out leveraged, whatever it is, Chris Tyree can break what should have been a five-yard gain for most people into a home run touchdown. That's what he can bring. And I know we have there's other running backs in this group that I'm excited to talk about because I think they could be more 
efficient runners, right? Guys that maybe can give you consistent yardage on a clip at a higher rate. But Chris Tyree is the one in this group that when things aren't going well or aren't going perfect, he can completely flip the script for you. That's mm-hmm. what Chris Tyree is for me. This is the home run threat of your entire of your entire skill position, if we're being honest. Because, I mean, Braden Lindsay can create some big plays. There's no doubt. He can be a home run hitter. Lorenzo Styles, when you get there, can do it in spurts. But Chris Tyree is the absolute 4-3 guy where if you have a bad angle, he can take it for six. So he's the biggest pickup, I think, for an offense, honestly, because there's going to be a game, there's going to be a drive, there's going to be a couple drives at times where maybe Notre Dame is not working at a deficient pace. And then Chris Tyree all of a sudden breaks it open, and then you get back in the groove, and that brings the morale up. He's that type of player where he's the momentum flipper, in my opinion. That's what Chris Tyree needs to bring to this offense because he is the explosive factor that can create those humongous um, electric – chunk plays for Notre Dame. That's what I think he mm-hmm. brings to this team. Yeah. The key for him though is it's got to be an uh, it's got to be built around efficiency. That's going to be the thing for Chris Tyree is yeah, it's great that you have the big big home runs, but what we also need to see is more fours and fives from him too. And I think that's what he did a good job of in 2020 is mm-hmm. there weren't the negatives and part of that's the offensive line, but Chris Tyree's not a sh- shifty guy. He is a one cut and go guy. So the offensive line is part of that, but that's the other thing too, Ryan, is we've got to see Chris Tyree. He's going to hit home runs this year. He's got to stay healthy. Can he do it in the run game? Last year was all the pass game and return game. Can he do it in the run game? Right? And then the second part of that is, is can he be efficient as well? So that way on first and 10, you're not getting yourself into second and nines or second and 12s. You're getting yourself in second and sixes, second and fives, third and twos, where you still have the potential to give him the ball and get him in space and let him go make plays. So that's kind of the other part of, of where that, that is going. Mm-hmm. So after Chris Tari, it can't be alone, right? He's not a 20 carat touch guy. The second yeah. part of this conversation is the sophomore class has to step up and emerge, right? And that's Audric SMA and Logan Diggs. And I want to talk about them together because I think they need to be kind of clumped together for the specific comp this conversation is. That's where your bell cow snaps and carries are going to come from. This group has to be able to provide the short yardage stuff, the hammer, the stuff that wears you down between the tackles. They can both do things outside the tackles, especially Logan Diggs, but the biggest thing this group needs to bring is they have to be the group that forces the box to condense. If the box is going to condense in a lot of ways, Chris Tyree's home run ability is part of it, but then you also have to have it when these guys are on the field, and it's because they can hammer you. They're going to keep you in second and short, second and medium the whole game. They're going to move the chains and then open up those big play opportunities. So, yeah, he's – I mean, the, the, that pairing for me, Brian, is where you mentioned the short yardage opportunities. You need to keep your team ahead of the change. This is the efficiency side of the conversation for me, even more than a Chris Tyree, yeah. because they're going to continue to keep you on schedule. We talk about being a quarterback being on schedule and on script all the time. Mm-hmm. Running backs can do that too. All players can do that, right? They keep you on schedule. Getting you into ahead of the chains opportunities, I think, is what we're looking with it with a guy like Audrey Estime and a guy like Logan Diggs, whenever he ultimately is deemed ready to go at 100%. And also, down the stretch of a football game, when you know you have to run the football and you're playing against mm-hmm. the clock a little bit, those are the guys that need to wear you down a little bit and to be those efficient runners. Because at that point, 
You need to just continue to attriculate the ball down the field, right? Like you need to be able to really three yards, five yards, four yards, six yards, three yards, four yards. You need to be able to consistently on a clip keep you ahead of the chains. And I think those are the players, very different players in their approach, in my opinion. And I don't want to, I don't want to say this all with by also depreciating the fact that I do think Logan Diggs can create some big plays at times. And I do think Audrick Estime can create some big plays because they mm-hmm. have enough athleticism to create some chunk runs. We're just talking more about 30, 40 yard runs comparative to a Chris Tyree who can bust a 70 yarder, right? For a touchdown. Like it's just a little bit of a different, right. different feel. Audrick Estime, 230 pounds. He's got the hammer build to him, but I also really like his foot quickness. I sure. think he can do a lot of things inside the tackles, making a guy miss in, in tight spaces. Logan Diggs, seeing his foot quickness, man, I was surprised because there was at times last year, and we talked about this, there was a lack of patience. So you just kind of hit things and you were just kind of like, Logan, like, let's be a little patient, man. Let's read the zone front side a little bit more. Maybe backside A pops open. Let's use that patience that we know you do have. And then it takes you off guard. You're like, oh, he's also a 210, 215 pound hammer. I mean, he can be. And he's got quickness and he's got athleticism. So when you couple those players together, they're the players that I think can really wear down a defense and they're going to do it a different way. But I really think that they are the efficient runners that Notre Dame needs in this offense. You have to stay in front of the change. Too many negative runs last year. And it wasn't mm-hmm. just the running back's fault. We'll, we'll talk about the offensive line, obviously, in, in this uh, in this little series as well. But Notre Dame needs to have efficiency at the running back position because there's plenty of talent to go around. And my favorite part about this group is that they all are completely different. They bring a completely unique style. So when you fit them all together, I really think that the, the running game and the running back room can be special if they're able to really put it all together because they're all very unique in their own way. Mm-hmm. I think Logan Diggs is the kind of the, the inter- intriguing part of this conversation. I think Logan Diggs is a little bit of a combination of all the guys. I think he brings, you know, he's not a home run hitter. Neither is Audric in a traditional sense from the standpoint of like, they're a threat to take it 80. Look, Tony Jones Jr. took an 80 plus in a, in a bowl game, right? I mean, it can happen. You know, Kyron Williams isn't a fast guy. He went 90 plus last year, but it's more about, how that speed is something that, boy, if we don't defend him every time, he's capable of doing that. I think what he brings, however, is he uh, Logan needs to get is needs to to say, hey, you're a 200 plus pound back. You need to be willing to play that way more often, without losing his ability to bounce and make plays. Because he's the one guy, he's the most shifty back they have. That that to me, mm-hmm. you know, he's the guy that can be a make you miss guy. So. His unique aspects is I want to get him inside hammering people, but you if you're if you're only doing that with Logan Diggs, you're not using him correctly, right? It is an it is you have to get him. He has to be your he can be your best inside out back. Chris Tyree is your home run guy inside or out. Lo, Audric Estime can do things outside in space, especially in the pass game. But you know he's really going to make his money on the inside. Logan to me is the key to the run game being. Re, taking its efficiency to a whole new level in my, in my opinion. Yeah, no, it's, he's an interesting player. Cause I mean, to your point, Brian, you have Estime, who's more of the traditional hammer, right? Like he's a guy that at 230 pounds, you can see it uh, really wear down a defense. Chris Tyree is one step and he's out. You can break it, break an angle instantly. 
But Logan Diggs does bring a unique skill set in the fact that he is well over 200 pounds at this point. He is a hammer, but he also has really nice speed and really nice change of direction to be an all-around weapon. And we haven't even talked at all about the passing game prowess of these players, right? Like we just saw Chris Tyree in the bowl game have over 100 yards against Oklahoma State in only a few catches. I mean, he was in a situation where you know creating big plays not only in the run game but also in the pass game which is which is big time in this regard and it's I think it's gonna be a big help to Tyler Buckner as well and I will say this I was only at one pra- live practice this this um the spring but I was incredibly pleased with what I saw of Audric Estime as a pass receiver there were a lot of instances where he was one-on-one with a linebacker running an angle route running a, a wheel And I thought he looked very loose as an athlete and was able to create separation in the passing game. So I really am excited about the combination that you have potentially there because then you add in Logan Diggs, who, by the way, may be the most natural of the running backs as a pass receiver, which I think is especially fun to kind of take a look at. So I, I think that for me, it's the all-around skill set and the diversity of these players that really keeps my interest kind of going. They are players where you have so many different skill sets that keeps me intrigued to just see what the overall volume is for each player, right? Because I because we've heard us talk a lot about, hey, Chris Tyree is a home run waiting to happen, but he might not be an every down runner in the sense that he's going to carry it 15, 20 times a game. Like that's probably not his role. We're talking probably more 10 to 12, and then you get a few catches in there and that's what you're looking at. But you look at a player like an Audric estimate, how many touches is he going to get as a traditional running back? What is Logan Diggs going to be able to do if he is as healthy as it looks in these practice clips? I'm really looking forward to seeing what do we, what do we see from a, uh, I don't want to say target share, but a volume share of these running backs? Well, how many touches each game do these running backs get? That will determine for me just how successful this running game is going. Because if we get, because I, I, honestly, I've been big on the Audric Estimate hype train this offseason, but I don't want to see Audric Estimate run the ball 20 times a game and then the other guys just kind of fall to the wayside from a, from a, a production share perspective, I need all three of them to be able to, to have their impact because they bring something completely different to the game. So we want to also transition because this is another big point that we want to talk about. That's the running back room, exciting talents, exciting diversity, wide receivers in this conversation, I think brings a very different layer because I think that for me, and I know Brian agrees to this, there's not a diver- there's not a disparity in talent from the wide receivers. We're going to talk about guys like Lorenzo Styles, like Braden Lindsay, like Tobias Merriweather, who came in this fall, like a Deion Colsey, who was a highly ranked player in his own rights coming out. Jaden Thomas is a player that we have heard multiple times from sources near the program that they love Jaden Thomas, and he's been a player that has done his due diligence and is really impressed the staff continuously through his time so far with the program. 
So there's expectations being thrown out about each player for their own rights. But the biggest question for me, and I know Brian will kind of reiterate this when he pops back on, is the fact that the numbers, right? It's the biggest thing is that the numbers are not where you want them to be right now. And especially after the Avery Davis injury. And I know someone asked us yesterday about the potential of Avery coming back for a seventh season. I don't know if that's in the cards just with, the you know, he would have to petition the NCAA to get that seventh season. But either way, losing Avery Davis is a loss. And I'm not going to sit here and act like it isn't. I mean, if you're on the message board, if you're not, you should go down to boards.irishbreakdown.com, by the way. We've talked a lot about the injury to Avery Davis and how much it stinks. And this is something where is, is the sky falling? No, you don't have to make it like that. Right. Cause there is still a lot of talent, but losing a player like Avery Davis is a big deal for multiple, multiple reasons. One, I think he has probably the big, the highest ceiling, uh, highest ceiling, highest floor of any of the wide receivers that were returning this season. We know what Avery Davis is going to do when he's healthy with him being gone though. And that you completely lose the floor. But my other biggest thing is I talked about this a lot recently is that Avery Davis is the de facto leader of this wide receiver room. He is, he's a returning captain for a reason. The everybody around him, the fellow wide receivers, they work as hard as what Avery Davis does, right? He is the tone setter for that group. And he is the guy that has earned everything he has gotten in his career. So I am really upset. And honestly, like I was distraught when I heard the news because I wanted Avery Davis to have his career end the right way. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, it was just not meant to be. But that being said, there is a lot of talent here. There is a lot of talent. Whether you're talking about a Lorenzo Styles, or you're talking about a Jaden Thomas, or you're talking about a Deion Colsey, hopefully, or a Tobias Merriweather that is coming in, or Brain Lindsay, who, and I get it, trust me, I'm a Notre Dame fan. I have been my entire life. I have been waiting for the Brain Lindsay breakout since that since 2019 when he showed us flashes of what he could be as that gadget type player. I've been waiting for it. And it has not materialized. But I really want to start mostly, for me, with Lorenzo Styles Jr. Because while there is not a lot of – look, we saw in the bowl game what, and in spurts last year what Lorenzo Styles down the stretch could be. And we need him to now we – ha- we're settling with the thing, Brian, in my opinion, where it's like Avery Davis gave you a really nice floor. It was dependability. Now that you don't have that dependability, you need a couple guys to be du- dudes. Like, you needed it already. But it's especially important now that Lorenzo Styles and somebody else, a couple others, really step up and show close to what their ceiling is. Because you need guys now to turn unproven production into high production. Like, you need that. And you've seen spurts of Lorenzo Styles. And for me, looking at him, he's my pick to be in that breakout star because I think he can be a player lining up inside, outside, doing a little bit of everything he's the player that gives you diversity from an alignment perspective. So from, so as we're starting through the, we talked a little bit about it, Brian, the, the couple of the things that we're worried about is proven production is not coming back, especially with Avery Davis out now. And there's not great numbers in the wide receiver room. 
for me, the big starting point is you need a dude to step up. And I think Lorenzo Styles has the talents to be that guy. I think the injury to Avery Davis has done two things. Number one, obviously, it's it's link it's it's sort of zeroed Styles in as we talked about the other day into a role where he's going to play more in the slot than he was going to play. I think that also has put him in a situation where he can't just be the big play guy that maybe you thought he was going to be. He has to bring some of that dependency that you talked about, and that's really when I wrote the article about him the other day. Is you know sophomore, he's got to grow up quickly, all those type of things. It really comes down to that. It comes down to a situation where he can't just be dynamic at times. He has to be dynamic at times and also always efficient and always consistent. And that's the part that I think is going to be the challenge because he is a young player. You know what I mean? Even if you look at like Will Fuller in 2014 when he broke out, and when you look at Golden Tate in 2008 when he broke out, their numbers were really good, but they weren't always kind of the consistent, dependable, reliable receivers that you kind of need your best receiver to be. And he didn't have to be that. Like you look at Will Fuller back in in 2014, for example, he had some big games, but then he he struggles against Navy, three catches for 16 yards. I believe I had to drop that game. He has three catches for 27 yards and a win over Stanford, had trouble kind of gaining separation on a, on a kind of a, a, a day where it was a little bit wet and all those type of things. Uh, but you also look at it and say, you know, you had other guys on that team that could kind of provide some of that dependability, right? Well, I think Lorenzo's in a, in a situation where, you know, you don't you don't necessarily have a, a Chris Brown, a, a CJ Procise, a Corey Robinson, a Ben Koyak who did a lot of the dependable things. Amir Carlisle did a lot of those, you know, those intermediate dependable things. And Will could just kind of go be the big play guy. They can't really afford that with Lorenzo. He needs to also provide some of it. So that's where the ex- the expectations got ramped up for Lorenzo when Avery went down. Is now they're in a situation where, you know, he's got to be a more he's got to have a more mature game this year than he would have otherwise had. Where he could, if he has a, an off day, you're okay. You got Avery, you got Braden, you've got Michael Mayer, you've got these guys. He has to be sort of the dependable guy now. He now has to emerge as the alpha at wide receiver. Whereas before, yeah. I kind of thought they could kind of do a a by committee type of thing where now it's like, well, that committee just got smaller and your most reliable, dependable player is out. Who's going to fill that void. I think that's the bigger question for me for Lorenzo, because that requires more maturity as a player than just, Hey, I'm really fast. And I smoked this guy. And I think that's the part of it. And the good news is, is I do think Lorenzo already has a mature game for his age. Mm-hmm. So it's not a big leap to ask him to go from what he, what I thought he was going to be to this. It, and I think somewhat Ryan, and I'm curious what your thoughts on this, just the extra snaps and slot alone are going to put him in more of those positions. And in, in my view. Well, here's, here's a cliche. Ready? I know we love cliches on this show. Safety blankets. Michael Mayer is one. That is what, in my opinion, that was Avery Davis's biggest thing, right? You could depend on Avery Davis to make a snag, to Mm -hmm. move the chains on third and five, to find a soft spot in the the zone. Those are things that I think you're missing most with Avery Davis. The Obviously, the and like I talked about a lot, right, it's the leadership aspect of Avery Davis, but also that insurance, that, that security blanket. You don't know who that guy is in the wide receiver unit right now. You don't know because, I mean, let's be honest with it. Ready? Lorenzo Styles has shown flashes, 
but you saw it in a very small sample size last year. You barely saw anything of Deion Colsey last year. Mm-hmm. You didn't see anything of Jane Thomas, really. You didn't see, I mean, you haven't seen anything of Tobias Merriweather because he's a true freshman coming in. And Brain Lindsay's a guy that we really like, but he also has not been the most consistently productive player during his career. So who is the safety blanket? I agree mm-hmm. with you. I think it can be Lorenzo Styles because he's the guy where I think that he has a general understanding of let's how of how to manipulate space from multiple alignments and get open and create those plays. And I haven't seen an issue in the, I mean, just in his one year of he's a very consistent hands catcher. Like you can depend on him to catch the football and you need him, Brian. So it, mm-hmm. is it a tall task? Is it a tall ask? Absolutely. I mean, he's only a sophomore. I mean, we have to remember this kid's what, 19, 20 years old at this point, but not only do you need him to be a playmaker, you also need him to be, a consistently dependable target in this passing game. So you're asking a lot, but the talent is there. It's just why everyone is excited. And the biggest thing for me is he's also working with a guy that I think right. is going to have the technical aspects of sure. this game at an even higher level now in Chancey Stucky working at the wide receiver coach. So I have high upside for Lorenzo Styles. It's a tall ask, but we're so excited because the talent is obviously there for him to do that. Right. I think he's got to have other guys step up too, right? Like, and that's the other part of this conversation is it's not just Lorenzo being the only person that steps in and fills that void, right? Because Lorenzo's already expected to do certain things. He's going to take on some of the responsibilities from Avery Davis. I think what this also does is this puts a lot more on Braden Lindsay. And, you know, I think his snaps are going to go up. I think that that now he is going to be needed even more so to provide some of that big play stuff because now – like before you could put Lorenzo outside and he could, could could be a big play guy. And we're going to still see Lorenzo outside in 12 personnel. We're going to see it in 21 personnel. We're going to see it. And there's certainly plenty of looks where you could see it out of 11 personnel as well. But I do think the slot is kind of where I expect him to sort of fit into the starting rotation. The better Braden Lindsay performs right to where, again, what's the talk about Braden Lindsay been the last few years, what we think he can be, but he hasn't really been that guy outside of like a half a season in 2019. He's got to be that guy. He's got to be that guy that, again, it's not about volume for Brain Lindsay. It's not. I don't care if he catches seven passes in a game, unless it's like for 200-some yards because he just destroys somebody. That's great. I just need him to provide that big play. Hey, if you don't pay attention to this guy, he will burn you. I mean, yes. and, you know, it reminds me a lot of, and, 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 you know, when you look at that Ohio State team back in 2014, you know, they they didn't necessarily have a guy that year that was sort of the – you know, the, the alpha, uh, you know, Will Fuller type of guy. They, they didn't really have that that year. I don't even think that they had a, a thousand yard receiver in 2014. Was, was that Devin Smith? Was that that? Group? Yeah. Devin Smith was their guy. Yeah. Devin yeah. Smith had 33 catches for 931 yards, 28 yeah. yards a carry. You know, their next leading guy was Michael Thomas at 54 for 799. And then you had Jalen Marshall at 38 for 499, Dante Wilson at 21 for 300. A lot of other guys did things for them, right? And so I'm not saying that Braden Lindsay has to average 28.2 yards per catch. It was a different offense, you know, where where he was put in more one-on-ones because it was a the type of spread offense that they ran. But my point is, however, is he doesn't need 50, 60, 70 catches to to impact the game and change how teams are going to defend him. You know, if if Braden only catches the same amount of balls he did last year, Ryan, it's it's still the same thing. It, it's 
it's not so much about the volume of catches. It's about the impact of those catches. I mean, you know, Braden caught 32 balls last year. He actually had more catches per game than Devin Smith had in 2014 because Ohio State played uh, 14 games, actually 15 games that year, and whereas last year Notre Dame played 13, and he had one fewer catch. So that puts them in into a different stratosphere, right, as far as – you know, yards, he's good there. It's the yards per catch that have to change with Braden. And to yep. me, you know, last year when you when you look at his production and 10.9 yards per catch, that's the thing that's got to change for Braden Lindsay. Now, a lot of it was not his fault. Some of it was his fault. You know, he needed to, needs to play better in certain situations. That's fine. But, you know, it wasn't coached worth a darn, in my opinion. And he wasn't a guy that was necessarily a, a precision route runner when he came to Notre Dame. So if you're not that coming to Notre Dame, like Lorenzo had that in him already. Tobias Merriweather showed up knowing how to run routes beyond what most of the Notre Dame receivers did. Deion Colsey needs to has to be taught that. Braden needed to be taught that, and he never was. Right. So that's not necessarily on him. And then the other part is last year, there was plenty of times that Braden Lindsay had several steps on defensive backs down the field, and the ball just never came because of the pass protection. I mean, so, okay, he can't control that. But what he can, can control is answering the bell every day, right, from a health standpoint, uh, you know, or, or an attitude stamp, you know, being consistent mentally, doing all those type of things. And then when, you know, go out there and do your job. And so if the balls do come your way this year, that you're able to make those plays. And if, if, if the line is what we think it's going to be, then there's going to be more opportunities for him down the field. And he's got to make those plays. And I think he can. And, and the more he steps up and answers the bell, the more confident Tom Reese is going to have in him to say, hey, look, we got to start making sure that we're game planning more to get Braden in these situations. Once that happens and that takes some of the pressure off Lorenzo Styles to be the big play guy, it's also going to put Lorenzo Styles in some more positive matchups. You know, you could see then more 12 personnel where Lorenzo maybe is to the boundary and Braden's to the field in 12 personnel. You know, where, you, you know, you want to have some big guys in the box, but then speed on the outside. And so I think it, it, if, if Braden can step up and be more of that big play guy, that's another thing. But again, Ryan, we're talking about what ifs. And that, I think, is the is the the concern that I have is he's now got to show me. And look, at the end of the day, right, this is where we're at. It's just a show me business. Mm-hmm. And the flashes have been there. But I want to I want it with this unit, especially at receiver running backs, a different deal for me. I have fully confident we're going to be there because running back is a position where talent can easily take over. Right. And I don't care as much about proven production as I do at other positions. But because the receiving core was coached so poorly, like I think the running backs were coached well. They were just young. They were behind a thousand yard rusher. Chris Tyree was banged up. I they had a good coach last year. They've got as good of a coach, if not a better coach now, with Dylan McCullough. I think they're going to be fine as long as they're healthy. The receiving core is a little different animal because there is the sort of the foundational changes that Coach Stucky has to make, and sure. and so. I think that's a a thing where where Braden's got to really step up and play. And here's another interesting thing. So uh, I, I don't know if this is going to happen or not, but I have heard some conversation that it is possible that we may see a, a move of Xavier Watts. I think that would be an interesting part too, because I think Xavier Watts is a very unique combination of Braden Lindsay and Lorenzo Styles that could add some really unique aspects to it. You know, so maybe that's a part of it. But at the end of the day, no matter who moves there. The thing that changes is when Braden Lindsay's on the field, he's got to be a difference maker. And if he is the player that I think he is, and again, we'll see, then, you know, I think this is, this is, that could be ultimately, and I've said this before, 
I get what you're saying about Lorenzo Styles, and we agree. He's got to step up and be the dude. But I will still contend that an argument could be made that no receiver on the roster could have a bigger impact on how teams defend Notre Dame than Braden Lindsay if he steps up. And, you know, because if he steps up and he is that, if he can be on a consistent basis what he was in the second half of 2019, you can't defend this team the same way. And now all of a sudden the run game, the quarterback, Styles, Mayer becomes much more difficult to defend because if you're going to have a safety king on Michael Mayer, that means you're going to be leaving Braden Lindsay outside one-on-one. And if Braden Lindsay can make people pay for that, then this that's the thing that to me that that really could take this pass game over the top. I, I really believe that. I have some thoughts on Braden Lindsay, and then I want to come back to you with a mm-hmm. question. So mm-hmm. we saw the spring into the fall, and what from people that you've heard from close to the program. Braden Lindsay just looks like a completely different guy, if we're being honest, right? Like he is attacking every day like he never has, in my opinion. And you saw it. He looks physically more well put together than he ever has. He's playing with extreme confidence. I mean, I saw him winning through contact and finishing plays through the ground in the spring. I have a lot of optimism for for Braden Lindsay. That comes out of my fandom for a second, right? Because he's a guy that I've been waiting to break out. You saw flashes early on in his career, and it has not been tangible to the big play threat that it should have consistently been, in my opinion, over the last couple of years. Some of the fault was usage, development. Some of the fault is his own. Like, let's call it what it is, right? There's always every layer to that conversation. I am, from the analyst perspective, Brian, I am just, I need to see it. Sure. Right? Like, I need 100%. to see it because he is extremely talented. Talent has never been a conversation with Braden Lindsay. Everybody knows that that kid's going to run 4-4 flat or better. Like, he is a fast, athletic, and explosive kid. If he wants it, I do have confidence that he is going to be a very big impact player for this team. But I still need to tangibly see it. That being said, would love to ask you, because you made an interesting comment about if Xavier Watts does make the move to wide receiver, which we'll see if that ends up happening, that you said that he has some stylistic comparisons to a little bit of Bray Lindsay, a little bit of Lorenzo Styles, has some mm-hmm. some of each player in him. I have personally never seen Xavier Watts at wide receiver. I've only sure. seen him in games as a safety. So I would love to hear a little more background if you could, and I think maybe some other people might be interested to hear this too. What do you feel like Xavier Watts can bring to this wide receiver room if he does ultimately, if they do ultimately make that move sure. to bring him from safety to wide receiver? If he can, again, we don't know if they're going to move him, right? Like, you know, I've heard some things from different sources. We need to see it, right? And I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But the reason I've advocated for him to move to receivers because he brings something that they really don't have at the position, and that is somebody who's legitimately dynamic with the ball in his hands. Like Lorenzo or Xavier's not a kid who's going to necessarily go out and run a fast 40 time. But Ryan, you and I have talked a lot about this. There's guys that run fast 40 times, and then there's guys that are really fast football players. And Xavier is a guy that's a really dynamic football player. He doesn't have the vertical speed that those guys bring to the table, but there's two things that are unique about him. Number one is he is really good with the ball in his hands. You go back and watch his high school highlight film. He's got suddenness to him. He's got vision. Like he can make people miss. And he's strong. So he's not easy to bring down. Now, I've been told he's around 200 pounds right now at six feet tall. Like that's a well-built kill kid 
who also still has to have the range to play safety, right? So it's not like he's piling up weight to go play Rover or something like that, right? He has some dynamic ability with the ball in his hands. And here's the other thing too. And I've talked to some former, like some former players, but then also, you know, people that were around the team in the past. And one of the con- the things that made it was confusing as to why he didn't play more was like he'd be in practice. The, the part of the reason they put him at W last year is, is was numbers, but also because he was one of the few guys that would win contested catches. He's really good at the catch points. He's got really good leaping ability, timing. He high points the ball well. He's got strong hands. And so he brings some uniqueness to the table because he brings a strength element that the other guys don't have. Now, Lorenzo's a pretty strong kid for his size, too. But I wouldn't necessarily call him a real shifty guy. Lorenzo, after the catch, is make a guy miss and then outrun everybody, right? I think that's a little bit more of like how Lorenzo is. But what 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 Xavier would bring if they move him, and again, we're not reporting that they are going to move him. I'm just saying I've heard enough to make me think it's possible. Then what to me, it's a situation where he brings you that dynamic, get him a now screen, let him make people miss, right? Like, you know, it wouldn't shock me if he's at X, catches a now screen, gets vertical for five yards, cuts back, and the next thing you know, he's taking it out the back door up the other sideline for a big play. He's kind of got that ability. And then you can also put him in the boundary and say, hey, we're going to throw you a back shoulder because, you you know, against this 5'10 corner because we think, you know, you're 5'11 corner and we think you have the ability to go win that like a bigger player. That's the stuff I've heard about him in the past. We saw a little bit of that part from him in high school when, it, you know, it, it, because he was a, a dynamic wide receiver in high school you know, in, in the Omaha area, which is decent football. And, and so he has that ability – but the stuff that we've heard from Notre Dame people in the past was more of the one-on-one contested. What I saw from him in high school was the guy that's dynamic with the ball. And that's the thing, you know, strong hands, can catch a hitch, make a guy miss, and then bam, he's getting 20 yards. I think that's what he brings to the table. And he can do stuff at slot and X, uh, which is also something I like. And you could, you know, we talked a lot in the past about the dynamic of if you have Avery, Braden, and Lorenzo on the field together, you can put Lorenzo in the boundary and then the other, you know, Avery with if Xavier does move. And again, this is partly my bias because I think he could be a great receiver. If he does move, he would actually be the guy I'd put in the boundary, not Lorenzo. And that would then free up Lorenzo to be more of a field guy because I want to get Lorenzo in space. I mean, I think that's where Lorenzo could be really dynamic. So I think if he was if he can be the guy that I think he is again, it's a big if that's the whole problem with this whole conversation, Ryan, is. We're talking about a bunch of ifs, if this guy, if that guy, if that guy. And that's the concern. That's the legitimate concern that people have. But we're not talking about if this guy can get faster, if this guy can get shiftier, if this guy can get more talented, if this guy can play out to his full potential uh, or beyond it. We're not talking about that. We're talking about really talented kids that need to to play to their talent level. And I think if you move Xavier Watts, and I love Avery Davis, you may not have the efficiency you had, but you're going to have a guy that with the ball in his hands is dynamic. And Avery had never really been that guy. Avery was a chain mover. He could, that could stretch the field and, and find open spots. We never really saw Avery like doing stuff after the catch, which surprised me because of how good of a runner he was in high school as a quarterback. Maybe it was just about not having the opportunity. That could also be it. But with, with Xavier, I think you bring a kid that, that can do some of that stuff that you just don't have. So I think the actual, the, the, the benefit is, it could really add an element to your offense that you weren't going to have before the move was made. If again, project, if it were to be made and, and, and I want to make sure I'm clear, I'm not telling y'all that he's going to move. 
I'm just telling you that I've heard enough to make me think it's a possibility beyond just my own personal speculation and bias. So we'll see how it plays out. But that's why I think Xavier could be a big, big boost to this receiving core because as we always talk about, Ryan, it's about complementary skills. And he yeah. brings a skill set that I just don't think they have at receiver right now. It's one we keep talking about, you know, needing to get from Dylan Edwards and some of the, the 2023 mm-hmm. kids and why we wanted guys last year. So you, you need more guys that can – and here's why it's important. If you have to play call your way down for touchdowns every single time you have the ball, it makes it creates more opportunities where you don't you're not successful. It also makes it harder to score enough points against the best teams on your schedule and in the postseason. You have to have some guys that can can hit a home run or completely change the field momentum with one play. It doesn't always have to be a touchdown. It's your backed up in your own fifteen. Chris Tyree makes one guy miss in the backfield and outruns the defense to the other 40. You just completely change the that that the momentum of the game at that particular moment, right? And that's what they haven't had a lot. That's what they didn't have in 2020, except when Chris Tyree was on the field. Sure. And that was the problem. And that's what hurt him against Bama. They were able to put that like one good drive together where they just kind of hammered it down Bama's throat. But the reason they couldn't consistently do it is because Bama just said, we're going to load the box and make you beat us over the top and make you beat us on the perimeter. And you don't have enough dudes to do that. And they were right. They didn't have enough dudes to do that. Sure. And so for me, in, in, to have a guy that can, you know, hey, you're going to do that, you throw a look screen to the Xavier Watts, and all of a sudden he makes one guy miss, and all of a sudden you went from your own 15 to the other 40, that kind of thing can happen. Lorenzo Styles has the ability to, to do that to a degree. Braden Lindsey can beat you over the top of a, of a defense, and all of a sudden, you know, USC goes right down the field, scores a touchdown against you, make it 7 nothing, and the next thing you know, you come back on that next play and you bang a 75-yard post route against them, Hey, does that remind you of anything, right? 2015, you know, that's exactly what happened. And that's what's so important. And that's what that 2015 team had, Ryan. And it wasn't just Will Fuller all the time. You know, I point to the 2015 game against Stanford. Stanford takes that opening drive right down the field on Van Gorder's defense, who was garbage, by the way. I'm going to repeat again because it just has to be said. What happens next? 95-yard kick return by C.J. Sanders. Game changer. Stanford goes down to score again. What happens? Bam. Deshaun Kaiser throws it over the top for a touchdown to Will Fuller, right? Stanford responds again, 62-yard touchdown run by Josh Adams. Stanford was a way more efficient team that day. That's why they won. But the reason Notre Dame stayed in it was because they hit a bunch of home runs. If you can be that plus be more efficient, which I think this team will be, and have a defense that can, I don't know, have a pulse, stop someone, (laughs) you know, that's how this team takes that next step. But that's what made that 15 team so dynamic. You had multiple guys on the field at a time that could change the game. Will Fuller could do that. Amir Carlisle could do that. Chris Brown could do that. C.J. Procise could do that. Um, uh, Josh Adams could do that. And Deshaun Kaiser and Malik Zaire, when one of them was in the game, could do that. That's what has me excited about this team is because what a lot of people don't realize about Notre Dame, and you and Ryan, you and I have talked about this, this is a far more explosive athletic team than people realize. This isn't the 2020 team. This is a team that's got some guys that can run. The question is, is it's not a track. This isn't a track meet. It's not. It's a football game. So I don't care what your 40 time is. Can you make the big plays with the ball in your hands? Can you take the top off the defense? That's going to be the key. The talent is there, Ryan. They don't need to add anybody else besides Xavier to, to get there. There's not some magic... You know, if you can go get a guy that's still in the portal, that that's the talent is there. Styles, Lindsey, Xavier Watts, as far as just the home run hitters, the talent is there. They got to step up and play their game. 
Then you sure. get into some of the bigger guys. You were talking about Jaden Thomas earlier to buy. Then those guys got to provide that role. The it's there. They just need to show because again, no matter everything we say that gets me fired up and all this kind of stuff, it still always ends with a but. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But they need to show it, and that's where we're at. You know, and that's yeah. the, that's the the thing is, but but the town is there, and people say why why are you so optimistic about the season? Because I'm like the town is there. Like I have no questions about the talent. It's just, is that talent going to turn into production? Is the potential going to turn into production? That's the bigger question mark. I mean, and it can. I mean, when you hired me, you said I, I think he's going to do a great job, but but he's got to show he me. One hundred percent. Yep, and that's what this wide receiver group has to do right now, man. It's it's there's so shameless much shameless self promotion, Ryan oh, Roberts. Sh- yeah, it's shameless, shameless. Someone's got to pump me up once in a while. But I mean, you're hundred percent, man. It, the talent is all there, and I mean, if a Watts move does happen, that's very unique in that sense. Because I mean, we talked about a couple of the guys like a Braden Lindsay, Lorenzo Styles. They're more going to create their big plays off of their vertical ability. There's not a ton of guys that are after catch dynamos potentially at that spot, right? So, I agree. These are momentum shifters, right? Like that's what I keep calling it. It's momentum reversers. Mm-hmm. You think about even last year, Brian. Like think of the Wisconsin game, right? They take the lead, and then you kick a kick off to uh, Chris Tyree houses it. And then that the momentum completely flips. Like that's what those big plays can create to you. So I think this could be a really good wide receiver room, but until we see it, it is going to be a question mark, but the talent is obviously there. And that's the concern, right? Ryan is, is that's where the hesitation comes from is. Okay. It's just so many ifs. And this isn't a game you want to have a bunch of ifs that, you know, if Tobias Merriweather, if Jaden Thomas, you know, I think, I think the good news for me is, is that I'm hearing enough from people that I trust that we are, that, that there, those things are continuing into the fall is a positive sign. And I think now that they've established who the starting quarterback is, now there's going to be more and more and more reps with the quarterback that allow them to get on, pardon me, the same page. And I think that's going to be the key, but you know, and, and like you said, Ryan, until they show it, it remains a question mark. And I, I think we've seen this before, though, right? Like 2014 was a major question mark at wide receiver. I mean, if you think it's a question mark now, imagine it was like in 2014. To refresh people's memory, Notre Dame's best receiver in 2014 was supposed to be DeVaris Daniels. Mm-hmm. But that's but he got he got suspended. If you remember, that was like like late in the year. He got suspended along with Kavari Russell and Ishak Williams and some other guys. Uh, because of the academic thing that happened. So you're you're looking at your receiving core and you're thinking, what the heck are they going to do, right? Chris Brown was coming off of a year where he had 15 catches the year before. You know, he, as a freshman, he caught two. He was your most experienced pass catcher with 17 career catches in two years, which is more less than what Lorenzo Styles had and way fewer than what Braden Lindsay has. Yep. You know, then you had two rising sophomores in Will Fuller and Corey Robinson who combined for 15 catches as freshmen. Now, Will Fuller's six catches went for 160 yards. But, you know, I think like he had a big game against Air Force, which kind of helped pump his numbers up a little bit, right? I think it was Air Force. I mean, yeah, two catches for 93 yards against Air Force, which means over half his production was against Air Force. He had one catch for 37 yards against Michigan State, one catch for 11 against Oklahoma, one for five against USC, and then one for 14 against Pitt. I mean, his moment came against Air Force. And so, you know, you look at Corey Robinson, he was a nice player, had some potential, but
but it was a lot of what CJ Procise was another guy that was a, a, a big part of their pass game in 2000, ended up being a big part of their pass game in 2014. You know, he ended up catching, let me go look at his numbers, what his numbers were in 2014. CJ caught 29 passes for 516 yards that year, 17.8 per catch. Well, he came into that season with seven catches for 72 yards in his career. Yeah. Right. It, but he steps up and plays well. Chris Brown goes from a guy with 17 career catches to 39 for 548. Will Fuller goes six career catches to 76 for over a grand 15 touchdowns. Will Fuller had twice as many touchdowns, over twice as many touchdowns in 2014 than he had career catches coming into that season. Right. Uh, Corey Robinson has a good year, 40 catches for 539 yards. You know, Ben Koyak was steady. Amir Carlisle, you know, provided some production in the slot. So, We've been here before, and this is why I say receiver is not a position I'm overly concerned with past production if the talent is there. And that's the question. Is the talent as good as I think it is? That's what I don't know because you don't really know until you see it, right? I think it is, but that's that's what you don't know. And somebody pointed out, C.J. Procise started his career. That was actually C.J.'s junior year, 2014. He started his career as a freshman at safety. So the year he caught seven passes was a year he just moved over from safety. So I think that's kind of where I'm at, Ryan, is we've been here before. Will we see similar breakouts in 2022 that we saw in 2014? That's the bigger question. We saw it a little bit in 2018 as well. You know, you saw Miles Boykin go from a guy with like 13 to 18 career catches in three years to a breakout season. You know, we saw, you know, Chase Claypool late in that year become a more proven productive player. You know, we saw Chris Fink go from, you know, a guy – we forget, in 2018, Chris Fink was a very key part of that offense. He caught 49 passes for 571 yards, had a huge play against Michigan in the opener, had a great game at the end of the year against USC. The year before, Chris Fink taught a grand total of six passes. The year before that, uh, he caught 10 passes for 172 yards. He came into that season with 16 career catches. That's fewer than Lorenzo Styles, way fewer than Brayden, Brayden Lindsey. So we've seen it before, and and – you know, they were coming off a year where they were a, a huge, heavy run team. So we've seen this before. Now we see, if, but that doesn't mean this group is going to do that. It's a different group of kids. Right. And so if they're capable of it, then that's where your production comes from. So it's not like we're like pie in the sky. I hope this happens, but it's never happened before. We've seen it happen quite a bit. It's just, and is this group capable of it? That's the question right. mark. And maybe it's unfair because, I mean, you work, I mean, it's a recency bias thing, right? I mean, you've seen plenty of, I mean, you talk about just the sophomores that have broken out for Notre Dame at wide receiver with the Will Fullers of the world, but then you talk about late breakout guys like Javon McKinley and and Miles Boykin and and that brand too. There's always there's been several years where I would say that there was some uncertainty over the wide receiver position in Notre Dame, but then you go into you know you kind of do like the end end of the year recap and you're like, oh, it was actually pretty good, man. It wasn't bad, you know. Like some guys stepped up that we thought could step up. So maybe it's unfair to this group. But the fact that we've seen it so often happen in the past, it does gives me hope that like right. it's probably going to happen again. Like it's it's a trend right. at this. Point. It's why and the it's, opt- it's why we're optimistic, and it's not just Notre Dame, right? I mean, you know, I've pointed this out before. Chris Olave as a freshman had twelve catches for one hundred ninety-seven yards. Right, the next year he goes out and forty-nine catches for eight hundred forty-nine as a sophomore. Uh, we saw this with John Mechie at, at Alabama. You know, the year you know John Mechie had a phenomenal year. In 2020, has 55 catches for 916 yards, only plays 13 games. And the point being is, is he would have been over a thousand if it was a normal non-COVID season. And then obviously this past year breaks out and has a monster year, 96 catches for 1100 yards. 
as in 2019, Ryan, he had four catches for 23 yards. He went from four catches for 23 yards, which means he had less production than Deion Colsey, to 55 catches for 916 yards the next year in 13 games. So, you know, I could I could do this for like every team. I could just kind of keep okay. going down well, the stretch. Stick with Alabama, man. Yeah. Jamison Williams. How many catches right. did he have at Ohio right. State before this breakout? Right. I mean, now, yeah. again, those guys were first-round talents and all that. But sure. what I'm saying is they don't need to be what Jamison Williams was. They just need to be what Chris Olave was as a sophomore, what what Corey Robinson was as a sophomore. They don't even necessarily need to be Will Fuller because what that what this team has that the 2014 team didn't have is Michael Mayer, right? right? That's a big difference. What what they needed Miles Boykin to step up and be the guy in 2018 because Alizé Jones was Alizé Mack wasn't that wasn't Michael Mayer, right? And so that's the other thing too is you know is, is when you kind of sprinkle this in with a little bit of the tight end talk is you're going to get more production from the tight end position than you've gotten at other in other in those other years that we've talked about and because yes. you've got such a dynamic player and so i think that's the other thing that 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 leads to my optimism ryan is you know this isn't like an abnormal thing at receiver this isn't like a let me find my couple examples to prove my point scenario i could do this all day right. and 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 that's the kind of thing that that you look at and say okay that's that's where my optimism comes from i mean you know, T. Higgins is a true freshman at 17 catches for 345 yards. That's very similar to what Will, what, what Lorenzo Styles he had two touchdowns, and the next year he goes out and he has 59 catches for 936 yards and 12 touchdowns, and they win a national championship. Right. Yep. So, you know, I think the, the the question that comes down to Ryan is, okay, what's your confidence level in this the talent of these players? I think right. that's the argument. Whether or not they can or can't step up is 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 not the conversation. It's are they as talented as you think they are? I think that's what they need to prove. And, and because I, I mean, I think that's a certainty. It's a certainty that they're they're very talented, right? Like, I mean, I would be very surprised if this was an absence of talent conversation if it doesn't, you know, if it doesn't develop the way that we want mm-hmm. it to. I think there's gonna be other factors that are gonna prevent that development if it does happen. So <clears throat> to your point, excuse me, I I think that there's a lot of talent in this wide receiver room. I'm excited to see the upside of the of, of the conversation to the points. And I think that we're going to see a lot of – I mean, we're going to see a lot of production, obviously, because people are – you're going to throw the football. Someone has to catch it at some point, right? But I do think mm-hmm. that there's going to be some big surprises on this unit. And you mentioned guys like, what does Jane Thomas do this year? Does Brian Lindsay have the breakout? There's a lot of question marks. Right. But ultimately, to your point – you're going to feel okay about it because there's there's not an absence of right. talent. The talent is all right. there for. Right. You know, you just kind of think back to different years, Ryan, and and you talk about okay, but here's the here's why this is different. Okay, it's different because you're having to move a receiver, uh, a safety to receiver because of the injuries. Well, no, you're moving a former receiver back to receiver. Yes, which is way more proven than moving a receiver who was previously a safety who had never played running back in his life to running back because of injuries, which is what they did with CJ Procise in 2015. And he goes out and runs for a thousand yards. And that's why I kind of point to is you kind of go through all these other different guys and and you say. uh, If the talent is there, the, the cream rises to the top. Uh, it, 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 that's the, that's the conversation is like, if the town is there, then I think you can have that conversation. And so I think when I look at this Notre Dame team, I think that's where the discussion is going to be. If they, if they don't step up this year 
and do what we we're talking about here, Ryan, then the conversation comes down to, okay, maybe the talent level isn't what we thought it was. And I think that to me, or the other examples, obviously what we talked about is going to be if there's injuries, more guys get injured. And I think that's where the kind of com- the conversation some comes from is that right there. So I love the talent of this group. I really do. I'm very concerned about the depth. And and that's why I think the, the other part of this is the margin for error. We talk about the margin for error, right? And that's the big question mark. Can can they afford if this guy doesn't step up, if that guy doesn't step up? But again, that's kind of what draws me back to that that 2014 season again is because it was very similar that year. The, the depth was not great on that receiving core in 2014. And they did what they needed to do to get done and, and win the game. So, you know, that's kind of where I'm at, Ryan, is, you know, you got somebody complaining in the chat about, oh, Xavier Watts doesn't win you a natty. No one's saying Xavier Watts has to be your number one wide receiver. But to act as if Xavier Watts can't be a part of that, I'm sorry, you're just, I think you're misguided, right? Um, the reality is, is that the, the, the team just won a national championship with Jermaine Burton. I could make the same argument. You're, you're cherry picking different things. It's about what does, does this team have the ability? You know, you're talking about a, a group that has a lot of highly ranked receivers. If you want, if you're if you're one of those people, it's a it's a group that has a lot of speed. If you're one of those people, it's a group that's got some size in it. If you're one of those people, it's got all these different aspects to it. What it doesn't have, Ryan, it's not missing talent. It's not missing size. It's not missing speed. It's missing depth, and it's missing proven production. I think sure. that's the key. That's the key to it, and. That's where they need to be. Yeah, and and I like that you mentioned a couple minutes ago about Michael Mayer. I really do think that one thing that is going to go Notre Dame's advantage a little bit is that all eyes are going to be at 87, right? right? Like there's going to be one-on-one opportunities, and I am going to feel confident about Lorenzo Styles and Brian Lindsay and Tobias Merriweather and Jaden Thomas. I'm going to feel good about those guys getting one-on-one opportunities. That is going right. to be a huge, huge help. Instead of them rolling coverage to maybe the wide receiver that's hot on a given day, the eyes are always going to be 87 because that is the proven commodity at this point. So you need wide receivers to be able to win one-on-ones and create plays that way. And I have confidence that all of them will be able to do that. It's just to what extent, how high can this team be this year is the big question mark. But again, that's not going to be a, if it, it does not fully develop, I don't think it's going to be a fault of talent. It's just mm-hmm. going to be circumstantial in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yep. So, Ryan, before we move on to the mailbag, first of all, we don't have a lot of questions start. There's been a lot of good discussion in the chat, not a lot of questions. So we'll get to some of the questions here uh, when we get to the mailbag. But I did want to circle back to the TV thing at the beginning. So uh, the reason I stepped away is because I had someone call me and they wanted to address kind of the report that's coming out there. So, uh, it, the report is not so much that Notre Dame is that's where the negotiation is with NBC, but that's what's being floated as the number that's being discussed is is the conversation. So I did want to make sure that that is clear. Uh, it it kind of walked back sort of the this isn't a thing where like they're in negotiations with NBC and it's about to be a done deal. It's not that kind of thing, which then leads to sort of what we talked about, which is this sounds like it's a number that's out there is like, a, hey, here's. If you want to get in the ball game, here's the number that we're that we're talking about, and so I think that's kind of um, that that was what I was discussing, and so somebody called me to kind of say, hey, look, here's here's where things are at, and and here's here's what we think how this thing should be. So I wanted to make sure that that was pointed out. 
uh, as part of the conversation. So before we move on to the mailbag, Ryan, I, I enjoyed that conversation with the receivers and running backs. I want to remind everybody, hit that like button, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. Uh, and uh, if you're listening via podcast, please give us a five-star review. Sign up for the message board at boards.irishbreakdown.com. We have a ton of great discussion going on over there. Uh, lots of good intel going on over there as well. So definitely sign up for that. 